0: Welcome to Creative Peacemail Podcast, a podcast for creatives. I'm your host, Tami Takeishi. Mm-hmm. Join me for compelling conversations with artists, actors, authors, musicians, and other creatives about the impact of the creative and fine arts in their lives and our ever-changing world. Thank you for listening. and welcome to Creative Piecemeal Podcast. We are back with one of my favorite people, Vicky Lan. She is a writer and the host of the podcast Speculative Sandbox, which delves into writing tropes with industry professionals. It's one of my personal favorites to listen to when I'm commuting. She gets into some really interesting philosophical conversations, as well as just like writing how to's and nitty gritty and it's fantastic so if you are a writer or if you love science fiction or fantasy or if you just want something new to listen to on your drive definitely check out Speculative sandbox and welcome back to the podcast
1: Tammy. thank you so much and i have to say i also enjoy your podcast it is the perfect feel good podcast for when i want to get inspired by other creatives so um great job on yours
0: well thank you high fives high five <laughs> <Woo>. <laughs> <laughs> So it is great to have you back on the show. Um, you were on the show in October of 22. So almost a year ago as of this recording. Tell me what's been up? What have you been doing lately? Any Read any new good books that you can't put down?
1: Well, actually, I just completed three days of Tucson Comic-Con convention, which is this amazing gathering of creatives and, of course, comic book enthusiasts and cosplayers. But it was an opportunity for me to get Speculative Sandbox on the floor and in front of people and meeting people. And I've just got to say, oh, there's a lot of uh, authors there, too. And I, I feel really revitalized creatively being able to meet all these great people and see other people's projects and just get excited all around. Made some great connections for the podcast. So yeah, I would say that's probably the most exciting thing that's happened to me recently.
0: Nice. Nice.
1: Do you uh, recommend that authors and
0: podcasters get to things like that more often?
1: Oh, it it definitely benefits me uh, just by networking. And there's something really safe. I, the reason why I like Comic-Con is that it's a it feels like a really safe environment for people to just be the geeky enthusiasts that they are, whether it's about books, whether it's about movies, films, TV shows, actors, whatever. It's awesome. So when I meet other authors, I'm also learning about their journeys and how they got to where they are today. And some of my favorite author booths are the ones that they are their own biggest fan. Um, I saw one author who had, he created, I love this, pitch by the way. He's it's the Indiana Jones meets the the hitchhiker's guide to the universe, right? The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Universe meets Indiana Jones. This really fun, quirky book. But he created and 3D printed all of these treasures, and he made a model dirigible. And you just go. And he illustrated his own maps. And you can just tell the passion that he has for his story and his world is in all these. And it's such good quality that it makes you yourself really, really excited. And I love being surrounded by people with that energy because it fuels me. I go home and I'm like, yes, I I'm going to ride this wave of energy and. I'm I'm going to start thinking about how can I add this to my own projects and what can I do to make my my work really sing in my mind.
0: That is excellent. It is always so important. I think people get bogged down with their day to day lives that they forget that part of being creative is taking in creative activities and, uh, you know, museums and comic cons and concerts or just reading or browsing a bookstore or taking a walk because it can fill your cup. And then you bring all that back to whatever it is you're working on tenfold.
1: Absolutely. I I love it. Do you ever do things like that?
0: I haven't yet, but Houston does a really big Comic-Con. So I've been debating that for for this next year. I think it's in springtime.
1: Well, knowing your love for music, there was a gentleman who was for all three days, just walking around the floor, the main convention floor with a violin. And he would just like play fandom music for people he was very talented and what what is that so great about music is that as he walks by and he starts playing the theme song to sailor moon for example and everyone just stops and looks and they just they can feel like wow that not only is a fantastic performer but he's creating and setting a mood right there almost like a flash performance so um i thought you'd appreciate a story like that it was really cool
0: that is so neat. <laughs> I will not be taking my violin to Comic Con, but um, <laughs> that's no, really awesome that people do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it yeah. it really creates literally a whole different feel to the physical, like the physical presence of the space changes when you add something like that.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. And some people will even design their booths to look like a fictional world, like a bazaar or a tavern. And that, I mean, now you're transported when you're there and and it's just fun. It's a great you know, brain exercise. It's just a lot of joy. And I think it's so important to put joy in your life because we have so much work and you know, the act of creativity can be truly joyful but it could also feel like a lot of work especially if you're working on a manuscript or a story and it could just get tedious and so it's nice to find time and dedicated to just pure joy
0: yes yes amen to that it is so important to have joy in what you're doing Mm -hmm. so last time we talked a little bit about some books that like you couldn't put down and challenged you and inspired you and those were crying in h-mart John dies at the end book series and the hating game by Sally Thorne. And mm-hmm. I was just curious, have you, do you have any more to add to that since we spoke last year?
1: Okay, yes. So I'm going to misspell her name, but Babel, the book Babel by R.F. Let's see, R.F. Kwong. I'm almost saying that correctly. Babel or the necessity of violence. Have you heard of that book?
0: I've heard of it, yes.
1: Okay, I thought it was Babel for the longest time because the Tower of Babel. But then I'm mm-hmm. I'm being educated <laughs> that it is Babel. That is a phenomenal book. I it's a it's a pretty dense story, and um I thought it'd be like oh that's gonna take me a while to get through. I ended up tearing through it over a weekend, and then immediately recommending it to my friend who also loves big books. And he ended up tearing through <laughs> it over the subsequent weekend. Um, that one it takes place in. I'm guessing you could say an alternate. You know, an alternate history where um, the, the the British empire has a lot of power over um, the, the words are basically almost like casting spells. Mm-hmm. But the way that you cast a spell is the power of actual words. So when you say a word, Like, I don't know, um, fruit. A fruit is also something you eat, but it could be the fruit of your loins. It's something that, you know, it's descendants. Fruit has seeds inside of it, so it can mean offspring. Basically, when you speak the word fruit and you have the magical ability, then the words power the impact of the spell, I guess you can say. So it's very literature oriented, which makes sense because Arv Kwong is a, I believe she's like a PhD in literature. She goes to the PhD program. That one's really great because she explores how the British Empire is actually um, getting silver, which is how we cast spells from other countries. And because they don't know the languages in those other countries, they get people from those countries to go to their school of Babel, which is their like literature and language school with magic. And so the main character is actually Asian, Asian American, and he gets brought to the school and he gets raised in these circumstances. And it talks a lot about what it's like to be mixed race, what it's like to benefit. Like if if you are, if one half of you is actually of like the white race in England and then the very political ramifications of benefiting from a society that's actually harming your country your home country super interesting so mm-hmm. i highly recommend that one and then the other one that's also written by rf Kuang is yellow face which is a contemporary novel absolutely <laughs> unhinged it is so funny it's about a um two friends i guess you they're frenemies who've been who are in the industry they're both authors one is supremely more um successful than the other the one that's very successful is asian and the one that isn't is white the asian girl ends up dying in a freak accident but the white girl steals her manuscript and basically pitches it as her own and that like that goes into the whole story of you know representation and um diverse voices and who should be telling those stories it's a very Uh, controversial book, but I will say the way it's written is just, it's so, it hooks you right in. So those are my two books that I recommend. They happen to be the same author, but you know, I like them. If
0: you've been feeling burned out, stressed, overwhelmed, or exhausted, the resources and courses at the Self-Care Institute are here to support you. The Self-Care Institute was founded by Dr. Ami Kunimura and provides support for individuals and organizations with burnout prevention, burnout recovery, and stress management. I've personally taken a few of these courses and found them to be super helpful, both professionally and personally. The care you give yourself matters just as much as the care you give to others. But if self-care is difficult for you, you're not alone. And the Self-Care Institute is here to support your well-being, resilience, and sense of fulfillment at work and at home. For more information, visit selfcareinstitute.com or go to the show notes and click on the link. Excellent. I I wrote them down. Um, I'm always looking to read books outside of genres i generally like go to automatically mm-hmm. and always looking for authors that i'm that i have not heard of before so i appreciate that yeah absolutely yeah and of course being um asian american it's nice to read authors that are also asian american because we talked about this a little bit in our in the last episode you were on that you know it you didn't grow up with you know
1: at least i didn't grow up with too many of that you know mm mm-hmm. Yeah, I I really like the narrative in Babel being a mixed race main character because that character starts to wrestle with a lot of the things that I can very much understand, the idea of privilege. Um, He's friends with people who are like, I think um, Indian, one of his friends is Indian, uh, and then Black and then a woman <laughs> and how they can't hide their identities they, they can't blend but when you're mixed race there's that kind of ambiguity that allows a certain degree of blending that it's not as much of a topic of conversation or you're not as immediately targeted and so growing up kind of in that position and then becoming aware of it is 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 quite a process and this character goes through that same exact process so it i it's it's nice to see those things out on paper because you realize I'm not alone, that this conflict in my mind is not unique to me. And as as a result, I feel more brave to kind of explore these feelings and talk about it more. Excellent.
0: We're gonna switch gears a little bit. For anyone who has not had a chance to listen to Vicky's first appearance on the podcast, would you mind telling them a little bit more about how you got your start as a Author as a podcaster, and uh, what are some of your goals for the the rest of this year and going into twenty
1: twenty four? So as an author, I don't know how that happened. It happened to me. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I've been writing my whole life, and then finally, I reached a certain age, and I'm like, what am I doing? Like, you know, it's always later. I'll I'll have I'll wait until maternity leave. I'll wait until after the kids. have a baby. I want. You know. And then finally, I was like, wait a minute, it's never going to happen unless I actually dedicate the time. So I finally just decided I'm going to do it. And that's what I did and ended up with an agent and ended up in the submissions process. And that's kind of where I am right now. And if you ask me to repeat the process, I don't know <laughs> if I ever can. Um, it was just one of those things I decided to explore and and got very, very lucky As for podcasting, I got into that because I needed to keep the creative wheels turning. I wanted to prevent burnout or at least come out of burnout from that first project and talk to people and very earnestly talk to people, like learn from people. And um, I quickly realized that there are writers out there who are, so, I mean, of course I knew they were smart, but like who are willing to talk about things. And uh, I had a group of friends that were willing to be my guinea pigs on the first couple of episodes. And then it just kind of blew up from there. And to me, the podcast is all about that joy and that creativity that I talked about earlier, where it's, it's not necessarily about technique. I'm not, I don't even think I'm an expert enough to tell you how to frame sentences correctly. Uh, But for me, at least I know I can get imaginative. So let's world build together. Let's unpack these things. So that, that's kind of where it went. And it just keeps going because people, it's just, it's growing. And I'm like, you know, I need to, I need to keep this momentum. It's benefiting me because it keeps me creative and fresh. I've written, Two half novel since, you know, good gamey. Um, but yeah, so that there's that. But I will be going on a hiatus at the end of this month. So we're in September right now. So beginning October, I'm going on hiatus to the end of the year. I've got some great authors who are offering to do takeovers for me just to keep the the podcast rolling. And the reason why is because I will be revising one of my original manuscripts and I'll be working with an agent and just kind of refreshing everything. And I really wanted my mind clear for that. And then hopefully that's done by the new year and I can get going again with new episodes. But the joy of being at Tucson Comic Con is that I have a whole whole new fresh batch of potential would-be guests who are just really eager to be on the podcast and they're willing to wait. So that's really great.
0: That is exciting. It's it's interesting. I don't know if you have any fears about podcasting, but my biggest fear is I'm always going to run out of guests. I mean, that never actually happens. But I'm always afraid that's going to (laughs) happen.
1: That's Yeah, I'm a little scared to think about. Now you put that idea in my head. (laughs) (laughs) For me, it was like, how do I keep up with them? Because they've just been so great. But yeah, I, I do have some fears about disappearing for a while. And then the momentum gets lost. But I think... I think the purpose of the podcast itself has has serves um, its target audience really well so that when I do come back, there's they're ready, you know, and I feel like there's so much to learn from other people. We've done uh, 54 official interviews, but we have over 70 some actual in, um, episodes and, and there's more there's more things to unpack. So um, I look forward to doing that when the time comes.
0: Yeah, I recently listened to the one about AI and robots, and I was like, whoa. (laughs) I was like, this is deep.
1: (laughs) I think with the robots one, I got kind of philosophical, right? Like purposes of robots and how they would feel and oppression. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) and the chat gpt ai one is really interesting because there's like this fear that chat gpt could end up replacing us and i interviewed a software a writer and software engineer and neil holchalti and he was he was great about you know he's like let me relieve you of your concern he's like some people may think that there's passion in the things that chat gpt can write but he's like let me assure you that no it does not <laughs> you you're putting that there and i'm like okay <laughs> No AI overlord at this time.
0: Yes, thankfully, no. (laughs) Do you have any uh, favorite episodes or tropes that you haven't done yet that you look forward to doing?
1: Oh, gosh, I have. Let's see. Let me pull up because I do have a list. I'm going to see if I can find this quick enough for you. I actually had an idea in my mind while I was driving the other day. And I was like, Vicki, you better write that down and and before you forget. And sure enough, I forgot. But let's see, my existing list, things that I haven't touched on just yet, I want to talk about tournaments. Tournaments are really popular right now, especially in young adult fantasy. So you come in and like the fate of a of a country is hinged on the outcome of a tournament. Um, so you want to write about, I want to do more like, so you want to write about, and I've already done paranormal investigations and I've done genetic modifications. I want to do police investigations, Ooh. politics and space travel. Um, someone who's actually space traveled and I don't know if I can get my hands on an astronaut, but you never know, or someone who at least works in the industry. I think that'd be great. I already interviewed someone who's been in the military. So we have a space ships, um, episode. That one's really great. That was a good one. Yeah. I like that. One. Oh, thank you. Yeah. He's phenomenal. He does a great job. Uh, family figures, you know, the, the roles that family members play and how it influences storylines and all the different ways that you can explore these relationships. Oh, where are the aliens? I I want to do that one too. So, there's many theories on where the aliens are, and probably one of my favorite ones is the dark forest theory. It's the idea that we're in this mass forest, right? Space is a forest, and we're just the dummies out in the outskirts of the forest and we're like, "Hello," you know, with all <laughs> our beeps out. And the reason why no one's contacting us back is because they're aware that there's something out there and you're supposed be quiet. You're not supposed to be attracting whatever beast monster thing is out there. And so that's very it's 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 ridiculous. It's I know there's like more realistic ones like it's just too large for us to be able to find someone that happens like a space or an alien society that happens to be alive at that same time that we are. Um, and it takes, you know, trillions of light years or whatever. Uh, but this one, I think, is so much more entertaining. The idea that there's a creature moving through space and just hasn't found our part of the forest yet. And we're just the dummies, like, transmitting signals and everyone else isn't because they know not to alert the the monster. It's just kind of cool.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I've not heard that before, but that would make a fascinating book.
1: Hmm. Yeah, agreed.
0: It sounds like you have a lot of interest in space. Is that true?
1: It, yeah, I, I would say so. I think I have a lot of natural curiosity for that. My current manuscript that I'm really working on is space oriented. It's I, and you know, I think it's because there's a lot of room for creativity and you're you're talking about, you know, hypothetical interplanetary relationships. and also because it's scary. I look up at the night sky and like the the thing where people say you're not just looking up, you're looking down into mm. the dark abyss. Like the, space fascinates me. And when I was younger, um, I would like look in telescopes and stuff. My dad also was a great influence on me with space. And I'll, I'll, I always have this fear, just like, you know, fear of like running out of guests, I guess. But um, I'll look through the telescope and I'll see Jupiter or Saturn. And I am, for some reason, I feel like at that moment, all the rules of physics is going to like fail and I'm going to watch the planet fall, like just out of frame, just because I looked at it at the wrong time. It's like this really weird. It's a stupid thing. But, you know, yeah, it's like I looked at it and I broke it kind of feeling.
0: It's OK. You know, some people are actually like afraid of the universe, like thinking about the universe and the vastness causes great fear. I mean, I'm I'm not one of those people. I- I'm in awe of it. It's um, fascinated but
1: some people it like they can't think about it like it's paralyzing that you know i've heard that too and maybe i haven't fully grasped its size or maybe I'm just curious about it. But I think I am also very aware of how tiny we are, on, you know, as humans on Earth. So I'm okay. Like, I'm okay with how massive space is. And I think there's a lot of possibility for future discovery. And that excites me. So I guess the larger space is, the greater the the opportunity and the possibility. So I see it as a positive. And that's really cool that you've got um, a manuscript that's space-related coming up, so... Yeah, I'll give you the pitch if you're you're curious, if your listeners are curious. It's about an estranged mother and daughter who must reconcile if they hope to survive an alien invasion together. So, yeah, it it starts off very, like, on boots on the ground, and then in this very epic road trip, like, they learn a lot about the history of space travel, do we have aliens on Earth now, what's going on in Area 51, that kind of stuff.
0: Very cool, very cool. It seems like I, it's it's well timed because it seems like the space race is heating up again and uh,
1: people are getting more interested in all of that. Yes, especially with the weird sightings of like metal discs in the sky that kind of change. I see them every now and then on TikTok. I heard a really interesting theory that I would actually wouldn't mind talking about this too, except I don't know if it's a trope necessarily, but it fascinates me. It's the idea of dimensions, like if there's a fourth dimensional creature, and I'm getting this from a TikTok video, I'm forgetting who the creator is. If there's a fourth dimensional creature, we can't see it unless our planes of existence cross. And so at those points, that's where you tend to see. And it might it might manifest very oddly to us being in the third dimension because we can't see things on the fourth just as if like i drew a a, a stick figure on a piece of paper she's not going to notice us until we stab her paper with a pencil right like and then she'll notice it and at her point she's only going to see the two-dimensional impact zone she's not going to know that it was a pencil so the same idea applies if a fourth dimensional creature crosses our three-dimensional plane would it look like what are some of these videos of these weird silver discs that appear in one place and suddenly shift and appear like meters away you know like kind of in I'm sure maybe you could say it's military or even Photoshop that's that's all fair like I'm not <laughs> it could all very well be the case but I think it's so that is like one of those abstracts that puzzles me but I'm like I really wish I could wrap my head around it and understand it it is so interesting isn't it
0: mm-hmm yeah
1: so something that you do on your show which
0: I love is that you do icebreaker questions mm-hmm and every time I listen to it, I'm like, I'm going to do icebreaker questions on my show. And then I always forget. And I don't actually oh. do it. Um, <laughs> I never do. I just sort of just launch right into like these like questions that cause people to sweat and pause for oh, three minutes.
1: You're <laughs> like, tell me the reason for your entire purpose. Right exactly.
0: What is your existence? <laughs> you know, I just jump right in. Um, but one thing I do love to do on mine is quirky questions and i got this from a friend of mine it's what would you bring to a potluck dinner
1: oh okay well this is where i get really imaginative because my first question immediately is is there a theme and then i would try to go based off of the theme Ooh. um my favorite thing i've made though is a fruit salad that at first you're like I love your salad. but no it's blackberries mint la- oh, hmm. Now I'm forgetting what it is. Watermelon, <laughs> blackberries, mint, and lime juice. Ooh. And something about that combination. It's refreshing. It's balanced. It's not like too sour, too sweet in any which way. Um, really, really delicious. And I uh, brought that to a work potluck. And, you know, everyone's like, oh, it's the healthy fruit salad at the end of the table. And they just it devoured it. So I feel pretty confident about that dish.
0: Awesome. I might I might have to poke you for that recipe there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> And you live in a a really cool part of the country that I've not yet had a chance to visit. Mm -hmm. Um, But what is one of your favorite places to uh, get a meal? Oh, my gosh.
1: Okay. So first and foremost, Tucson, Arizona is the land of gastronomy. It's like the first official town of gastronomy, actually, in the United States. It is a hotbed for international cuisine and of course, specifically food from Mexico. And so, the best foods, in my opinion, were from when I lived down by the U of A. So, like, uh, downtown ish area and then south side That, like, you want the food truck on the side of the road, taco, carne of tacos. They are so good. So, um, right now, my favorite place for that experience is SACE in, um, I'm trying to remember San Agustin's, I'm forgetting what that. Places called Um, SEIS, S E I S. I get their Al Pastor tacos. It has pineapple on top and it has the most, the best cilantro, uh, cilantro rice. And I'm trying to remember now, but in that area, because it's like one of those courtyard areas, you have a Mexican bakery right there you have um, like a dessert shop you have a cafe and then in the courtyard itself it's designed for events and what I love about the downtown Tucson area and we have a streetcar that goes from this commercial center down to the downtown area is they're really trying to revitalize nightlife and there's so much culture and what I love about specifically that, um, that area is every year we have Dia de los Muertos which is the day of the dead and I got to go last year and it was a phenomenal um, experience. So I would have to say, like when it comes to Tucson and the time of year, uh, it's it's quite an experience. And they're they're really growing um, that tourist attraction. And uh, I know a lot of locals, like myself, have a lot of pride for for the those kinds of restaurants. So yeah, I would have to say, Sace down on Congress uh, near downtown Tucson. That sounds tasty, and you're making me so hungry right now. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that so much.
0: For the writers out there, uh, what is something that you've recently learned that you're incorporating into your works?
1: Like whether it's a tip or a cool word or whatever. Audience. I'm learning so much about audience. (laughs) So my manuscript got in front of several boards of acquisitions at several publishing houses. And the biggest thing that they are asking is what is the audience size they want to quantify? So this is really it's advice for anyone who wants who's traditionally um, goal oriented for the traditional book industry. Those things, it's kind of it's interesting to, to discover that your project that you've had so many other considerations for, like character development, plot arcs, everything could come down to like a few key metrics Mm-hmm. And in my case, it was audience. What is the quantity of books that we can sell? And specifically, what audiences does this book point to? And... Um, I, I do think it's so important for writers to be as imaginative as possible. And uh we should challenge and encourage that and diversity and you know, new perspectives as much as possible. But I do think given the industry where we have a shrinking traditional uh book industry as far as like what are the variety of imprints and houses in publishing houses. the competition is really fierce. So they start looking at the existing uh, categories for audience and they're hoping that you fill as much as possible. And I can't tell you uh, why um, they think certain things about my book, but that's just something that I've started to hear a lot about now. Like we think you can reach this certain amount of audience, but we actually want more, you know? So I, I guess the best tip I have is as you are writing your books and if you're traditionally like, you know, goal-oriented, think a lot about your audience. That is a really interesting
0: thing to think about because when you're digging into a manuscript and you're writing, you're not always thinking about the audience. You're thinking about the story. You're thinking about what you're dreaming up. It's very Mm -hmm. self-oriented.
1: It really is. And what's funny is maybe I write a different book and I get the audience down pack and then something else comes up you know it's a different metric entirely so it is it's something to think about absolutely Um, especially if you want to maximize your chances but I think don't do it at this don't do it if you're sacrificing something else like artistic or you know your vision
0: true true very good point there very good point because I think that it's really easy to tell when people do that
1: Mm -hmm. you know
0: whether it's music books movies whatever you can tell when they've Put the audience first instead of the vision and the goal that they were looking at,
1: yes, and you can definitely tell when they when they are focused on the art and you have something really new and you're kind of perplexing and puzzling and curious, and then that is exciting, you know, and it'd be great to have more of that like but i I understand like we are in a society where you know we have to be able to sell a product, but you know finding that balance and hopefully pushing for more opportunities to be artsy,
0: yeah. I do think that self-publishing is really on the rise because people are realizing like, okay, I can put the power back into my own hands. And, you know, maybe I don't need to sell a million books. Maybe I just want my story out there. Or or um, the fact that sometimes traditional publishing houses will make business-based decisions and they won't realize that they're missing out on something amazing. I mean, people turned down the Beatles, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's
1: it happens. That's a good point. They are saying that we might be seeing the rise of smaller publishing houses. I hope that is true. And I hope that I am able to help to ride that wave. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Excellent.
0: Well, Vicki, thank you so much for being on the show. Any last advice or words for our uh, audience before we go?
1: Um, I just I find opportunities to find joy and feel fuel your creativity and find people that are like minded that can grow with the like, grow your own inspirations and all those things like it's so important to find those positive influences
0: wonderful thank you so much listeners please check out vicky Lons' podcast speculative sandbox it is available anywhere you get your podcasts and be on the lookout in the future for her wonderful stories and as always thanks for listening thanks for listening to the podcast like the show have a question stop by the facebook and instagram pages Links are in the show notes or search for a creative piecemeal podcast on social media and click follow for all the latest.